0: chapter 5, a police officer pulled a man over for speeding. He went up to the window and asked for the man's license, and he said, well, officer, I don't have a license. It was revoked when I got my fifth DUI. He said, well, um, let me see the registration to the car. And he says, well, I I really don't have a registration to the car because um, I stole it. He said, you stole the car? And he said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. Um, We can look in the glove box and see if there's a registration in there. That's where I put the gun. (laughs) The officer said, there's a gun in the glove box? And he said, well, yeah, I had to put it somewhere after I shot and killed the woman who owns this car. And then I stuffed her in the trunk. He said, there's a body in the trunk? And he said, well, yeah, I'm afraid there is. And officer said, don't move. And he starts backing away. He says, I'll be right back. He goes and he radios his captain and he tells his captain what's going on. And within a matter of two minutes, the car is completely surrounded by officers with their guns drawn. The captain cautiously walks up to the car and he begins to have a conversation with the man. He says, sir, can I see your license? Man pulled it out and handed it to him. And it was a valid driver's license. He said, do you have a registration for this car? And he said, it's in the glove box. And he reaches in the glove box and hands it to him, and it was in his name. And he said, "Uh, is there a gun in the glove box? And the guy said, heavens no. Why would there be a gun in the glove box? And the captain said, well, what about a body in in the trunk? Is there a body stuffed in the trunk? And he said, why would I have a body in the trunk? And the captain says, I don't understand. My officer told me you didn't have a license, that the car was stolen, that you had shot the woman who owned the car and stuffed her body in the trunk. And he looked up at the captain and he said, I'll bet you the liar told you I was speeding too, huh? (laughs) It's one way to possibly get out of a ticket, but I wouldn't suggest it. We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is, tonight's text is the fourth of six illustrations that Jesus gives. He's told those who are hearing that their righteousness has to exceed the level of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember, first century thought was if only two people got into heaven, one would be a scribe and one would be a Pharisee. And Jesus set them on end when he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, You'll by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he gives six different illustrations. The first one was on murder. You've heard it said you shouldn't murder. But I say to you, you know, if, you, if you're angry in your heart towards your brother, you've already murdered him. And then the second one was dealing with with um, adultery. And he says if you've lusted, you know, do not commit adultery. But I say if you've lusted in your heart after a woman, you've already committed adultery. And then the third one was dealing with divorce. We looked at that last week and um and so what jesus is saying is the scribes and the pharisees were below the baseline they thought they were the standard they thought everybody should be compared to them and jesus said here's the baseline of who gets in and you guys are here because unless unless righteousness exceeds that you're not getting in tonight's passage jesus is going to talk about oaths and about excuse me about telling the truth um To tell you where I got the title of our sermon, let me tell you another quick story. A busload of politicians were driving down an old country road, and the driver lost control, and the bus flipped over. The old farmer walked out to see what was going on, and and he saw all the the carnage and things, and so he gathered up all the politicians and buried them in a big hole. Well, the sheriff drove by a few days later and saw the bus, and he stopped and he asked the farmer. He said, "What happened to all the politicians?" He said, well, after the bus flipped, I buried them all in a hole. And the sheriff said, were they all dead? And he said, no, some of them said they weren't, but you can't trust politicians. <laughs> so he said, you know how they lie. And I borrowed that for the title of tonight's sermon. You know how they lie. And I'm not talking about politicians. I'm talking about people in general. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. I invite you to stand as we read God's word. Again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one god help us to understand the truth of this it it doesn't read such that um, it would be easy for us to understand what jesus is saying so god i pray that your holy spirit would uh, uh, open our eyes to the truth of what jesus says and to apply it to our own individual lives as we leave this place we pray in jesus name amen go ahead and be seated in 1923, there was a pub in Scotland. It was in a little village called Daltry, And they started hosting the annual Liars Contest. The annual Liars Contest. And the same guy won it eight years in a row. And by the way, um, how many of y'all remember Joe Marshall? Man, oh, Joe, Joe proudly would tell you that, that somewhere down in Tennessee, there was an annual Liars Contest, and he won it several years in a row. And Three years in a row? And, and I think he said he quit after that. He probably could have won it more. but uh, they changed the road for the previous Okay. Well, this guy in 1923 won it for eight years. His name was Fraser Patrick McKinnon. The last year he won it was in 1930 when he also announced his retirement. He said he would be retiring from the contest. And in his announcement of retiring from the contest, he won the contest at the same time. Here's what he said: "I regret I cannot enter the contest this year because I cannot tell a lie." Anyone? That was the last year he won, but he won. How bad has lying become? If you were here for the Thanksgiving service w- on that Sunday, we talked about lying. I just want to give you a couple of the statistics again to refresh your memory about how prevalent lying is. A University of Massachusetts study in 2002, which is 15 years ago, and How many of you think uh, telling the truth has gotten better in the last 15 years? Anybody? Uh, I doubt it, right? So 15 years ago, these were the findings. 60% of adults could not have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least one time. They couldn't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. And that sounds better than it was because on average, during those 10-minute conversations, the people would tell on average three lies. Not one, but three and again, you might be saying, well, I'd be part of the 40% that doesn't lie. Well, that's what the 60% of liars said initially, too, that they wouldn't lie. Um, but as they watched the tape of their conversations, they were shocked at the untruths that they told to one another. And, and they honestly counted them up and found that, on average, they told about three. We talked about who gets lied to the most on a regular basis, 86% of students admit that they have lied at some point to their parents, 75% to friends, 73% to siblings, 69% lie to their spouses, 40% of people are found to lie on their resumes, and so if you get 10 resumes for a position, just know that four of them aren't telling you the truth, and if you happen to need a date and go and make an online dating profile, just know that 90% of the people that fill out those profiles lie, all right, they're not near as good as what they sound on that dating site. Understanding how common lying has become, Jesus' words here are very relevant to us today. They say a lot to the age in which we're living because Jesus tells us the truth about lying. Let me point out three things to you tonight. First of all, Jesus speaks about being dishonest. He speaks about being dishonest. He uses the word swear there in verse 33. And and the word doesn't mean to cuss like we might say swear. He's talking about swearing to an oath, taking an oath. We might say making a promise you know, we take oaths every day, right? If you, every, every 4th January, someone takes an oath of office. Every day during the week, Monday through Friday, during various courthouses, in various courtrooms, people are raising their hand, place, placing the other hand on the Bible and taking an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. When he says here in verse 33, he references swearing falsely. He says, you shall not swear falsely. Those two words, swear falsely, is the word we would get our word perjury from. In other words, he says, you shouldn't perjure yourself. You shouldn't shouldn't lie. Um, And and it's not a matter of just keeping your word or promise. You know, I'm going to keep my word to you or I'm going to keep a promise. Jesus is specifically dealing with lying. And, and, And there's a difference. It's a subtle difference, but there's a difference. The Pharisees believed that if you made an oath to the Lord, you had to keep it. So if you use the Lord's name in making an oath, that's it. you got to do it. No getting out of it. But if you were to swear on Jerusalem, or you were to swear on your own head, or if you swore on any of these other things that Jesus mentions here, um, all bets were off. If you swore on God's name, it, it, it had to come true. It had to be true. But if it wasn't sworn... By God, by his name, it was no longer a divine oath. So it wasn't what was said, but how it was said that counted. All right? Not what was said, because you could say the exact same thing, but if you didn't say it swearing according to God's name, then you really didn't have to keep it, according to the first century Pharisees. In verse 34, Jesus points out the problem with this kind of thinking. He he says there, I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven for his God's throne. But, but the bottom line is, he said, listen, don't, don't swear at all. Um, you know, if someone has to swear they're telling you the truth, I swear I'm telling you the truth. Chances are they're not, right? You know, if, if, if they have to swear to you that, you're, that they're telling you the truth, then you have a reason to question their character. Does that mean you don't always tell me the truth? Why do you have to insist now that all of a sudden you're telling me the truth? Proverbs 12, says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. In Proverbs 6, it, it mentions six things that the Lord hates, and lying lips are one of those things, a lying tongue. Now, what Jesus says is true in this day is true in our day as well. You know, if you... If you have to use God's name to prove that you are telling the truth, then you probably aren't. Our word should be enough, shouldn't it? Shouldn't our word be enough? Shouldn't the fact that that we are people of integrity and honesty, that if we give somebody our word, then that should be enough? Because they know what kind of person we are, they ought to be able to rely on what it is we tell them. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you can't believe a word they say? Sure you have. You, you, you've you heard that expression before. That is one of the absolute worst things that can be said about anybody. I mean, you think about it. If somebody says about someone else, you can't believe a word they say. It's one of the worst things. Because let, let's say you're going to hire somebody and they have skills and they dress very professionally and uh, they have people skills, but you can't believe anything they tell you. Are you going to hire them? No, it doesn't matter that they dress well, that they have great people skills, and that they have skills for the job that you're offering. You're going to steer clear of that person because of the reputation. Jesus says here when he says, um, when he says do not swear at all, what he's saying is um, speak the truth or don't speak at all. If it's not the truth, Jesus is saying don't say it. He says to be totally honest. Now, it doesn't always say, doesn't mean we have to always say what's totally honest. You ever heard somebody say, well, I am brutally honest? You don't always want to be brutally honest, okay? Just because something is is true doesn't mean that you have to say it. It's not that you're telling an untruth. You're just not telling everything. For instance, you're shopping with your wife. She asks you the no-win question. Does this dress make me look fat? How do you answer that? I mean, there's no good answer, but a person who's brutally honest could say, no, the dress doesn't make you look fat. Your hips make you look fat. Now, that's being brutally honest. And so do you, do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes something is honest, but that doesn't mean that you have to say it. Okay, it's better not to, to speak in that instance. You know, you say that to your wife, you wouldn't see her for three days. On the fourth day, your right eye would slowly begin to open. The the Bible clearly addresses speaking truthfully and keeping our word. Let me just give you some verses. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Very clear. Deuteronomy 23, 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God... You shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. You don't keep your word, it's going to be sin. Ecclesiastes 5.4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. You know, when we make a promise to God, and we've all done it, when when we make a promise to God, we should take that seriously. You know why? God takes it seriously. I, you know, I give you, I give you something you probably don't think about a whole lot, but when you stand and sing, if you think about the words that you're singing, God takes seriously the words that we sing, as though they represent our life. And and when we don't really mean what we're singing, we're just singing because everybody else is singing. Then we've got an issue. Um, Psalm one nineteen twenty nine says, to "Remove from me the way of lying." Psalm 120, verse 2, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Proverbs 13, 5, a righteous man hates lying. I have found that the closer we get to God, the more we hate lying and the harder it is to tell an untruth. The closer you get to God, the easier it is to hate lying and to be truthful. Secondly, Jesus speaks on being deceptive. On being deceptive, not just dishonest, but in the same passage, he's speaking about being deceptive, and there is a difference. He's addressing a common practice among the scribe and Pharisees. I mentioned uh, this to you a moment ago, and and the practice was intended to deceive people. It's not just that they were lying, but they did so with the purpose of deceiving. See, they divided their oaths or their promises into two categories: those they had to keep and those they didn't have to keep. It's kind of like when we were kids. You ever promise somebody something and you got your hand behind your back with your fingers crossed, and they say, and and then when it doesn't happen, they say, "But you promised me," and you say, "Yeah, but my fingers were crossed." In other words, that's an oath that you don't have to keep, whereas some you have to keep. You don't you don't do the fingers crossed thing with your parents; it doesn't work out well. All right, um, the Pharisees didn't cross their fingers; instead, they would swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem. And if they swore by these, there was a loophole. They couldn't be convicted of perjury because they hadn't sworn on God's name. If you're swearing and promising things that you have no intention of doing, no intention of keeping, you know, the bill collector calls and you say, I'll drop the payment off on Friday when I get paid. And you have no intention of doing that. Not only are you being dishonest, you're being deceptive. All right? Um, Jesus exposed their distorted view. He tells them not to swear, not to take oaths. And he's not talking about what the Jehovah's Witnesses think. I think it's the Jehovah's Witnesses won't take an oath in the courtroom. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about telling the truth. He's not talking about putting your hand on the Bible and swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Um, That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about just in everyday language, talking to people and telling them the truth. Um, It kind of hits home in our society today too, doesn't it? We have a lot of wordsmithing going on, a lot of spinning of things, a a lot of slant put on things where people don't talk honestly. Let me give you some examples from the business world. There was a Vermont firm that was going to reduce their workforce. Here's what they billed it as, a career change opportunity. That's one way of putting it. General Motors closed a plant. When they did, they built it this way, a volume-related production schedule adjustment. That's one way of saying you're getting fired, all right? Um, Chrysler closed the pant. They called it a career alternative enhancement program. Now, th- These are all deceptive ways of saying things. Bottom line is you're getting pink slip, you're not working there anymore. It happens in the education world. Students don't fail anymore. You know what? I used to get the big red red F, okay? They don't fail anymore. Instead, they achieve a deficiency. How do you achieve a deficiency? Isn't that oxymoronic? All right? Or or I have a friend. I, I really have a friend who drives a school bus. When I was a kid, we called them school bus drivers, right? Today, they are called certified adolescent transportation specialists. In the world of government. Have you ever heard that our defense department say that our soldiers were completely surrounded? They never say that. What they say is, and you've heard this, they engage the enemies on all sides, right? What they're saying is our our soldiers are surrounded. Um, Instead of soldiers being outnumbered, it's said that they operate in a target-rich environment, um, governments don't raise taxes, they enhance revenues, right? Hospital patients never die. Now, this this is funny. I, I, when I read this, I thought, they don't die, they just experience a negative patient care outcome. I don't want a negative patient care outcome, at least not today, all right? Jesus is, con- is condemning deception as much as he is dishonesty. There, there's a fun little book, and it's an easy read if you want to get it. It's called... The lexicon of intentionally ambiguous recommendations. The lexicon of an intentionally ambiguous um, recommendations. Get the letters L-I-A-R. Liar. It was a professor at Lehigh University, an economist by the name of Dr. Robert Thornton. And, and so he put down some of these phrases that you might use if you want to be ambiguous, intentionally ambiguous if somebody calls you for a reference and it's about a coworker who could, couldn't get along with everybody when they worked for you, you might say, I am pleased to say this person is a former colleague of mine. It's true, right? You'd be emphasizing former, but it doesn't come across that way. Um, for the lazy applicant, somebody who was lazy that worked for you, you might say, in my opinion, you'll be very fortunate to get this person to work for you. <laughs> Nothing untrue about that. That's just being deceptive. Um, for, the ap- for, the, for the applicant that you absolutely should not trust under any circumstances, you could say her true ability is deceiving. Again, it's not, it's not a lie. For an inept person, somebody who just, you know, the lights were on, but nobody was home when they worked for you, you could say, I most enthusiastically recommend this person with no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> for somebody who was unproductive, I can, now listen to this, think about it. I can assure you that no person would be better for the job. Not a lie. For somebody who's chronically absent, you could say, a man like him is hard to find. (laughs) Again, not a lie. You know, we we, we laugh at these, but the the Bible doesn't know any shades of truth. There's no shades of truth. It's either true or it's not. It's either truth or it's a lie. A half-truth is a whole lie in God's eyes. A white lie, a little white lies, is a black lie in God's eyes. We can be deceptive in a hope of not being called dishonest, but Jesus condemns both of them. Third, Jesus speaks on being dependable. Being dependable. Verse 37, let your yes be yes, your no, no. After rebuking them for their dishonesty and for their deceptiveness, he calls for complete honesty. He says, if you say yes, mean yes. If you say no, no. In essence, we used to hear a person, his word was his bond. That meant they were always truthful. That's what Jesus is saying. Always be truthful. Yes is yes, no is no. But he adds this phrase at the end of verse 37. He says, whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Whatever's more than a yes or a no is from the evil one. Um, what he's saying is he's telling us where deception and deceit and dishonesty comes from. In John 8, Jesus called Satan a liar and said he's been one from the beginning. calls him the father of lies. And so in verse 37, he's telling us the source of deception and dishonesty. He says, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You're dishonest, you're deceiving. It's from Satan. I was reading about the Korean War today, and it was a pretty interesting article that I I read. I didn't know this, but they used a form of polygraph machines when they would capture North Korean soldiers. And they found out something really interesting that, that bears witness to the church. If a Korean soldier had been exposed to the Christian faith, then the polygraph test seemed to work on them. They had some remorse for telling lies, and it would be picked up by the machine. But if they had no exposure to the Christian faith, if they had not been exposed to it any, uh, the study said this, that they had little sense of guilt when they lied. And so they could get by. They could pass the test with lying. You know, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, right? And... If we tell even the smallest dishonesty or deception, the Holy Spirit begins to say, Hello? Think about what you just said. Is that 100% true? I don't know about you, but the, the warning bells go off in my heart and in my life as the Holy Spirit tells us that. There's a sense of, of wrongness. There's a sense of guilt. Not so for the Christian because he has an evil heart from the evil one, and there's no, no guilt. Now, I always like to leave you with some life application, because some preachers, you've been in churches where some preachers you leave and you have no idea what they just said. You're like, I have no clue what that was all about. I hope that's not here, but, but you've had that experience. Sometimes you leave understanding what they said, but you have no idea what it means to how you live Monday through Saturday. My goal is always for you to leave not only understanding what was said, but knowing how then it applies to your life and how you live Monday through Saturday. All right? So let me just, let me just tell you, this is how to break the practice of lying and deceit. How to break the practice of lying and deceit. Number one, love the truth and hate lies. You you, want to break the practice of being deceitful or lying? Love the truth and hate lies. It sounds easy, but that's what the Word says. Psalm 119, 104 and 128. Through your precepts, or, or the Word, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 163. I hate and abhor lying. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So, the first way to break the practice of lying and deceit is to love the truth and hate lies. Number two, fill your heart with the truth. You want to get past lying and deceit? Fill your heart with the truth. Matthew 12, 34 and 35, Jesus said, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure in his, brings forth evil things. And so fill your heart with truth. Philippians 4. In a long list of things, the very first one is true. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are lovely, pure. And Paul gives a whole list. And then he says, think on these things. And so think on that which is truth. Well, to be speakers of the truth, our heart has to be filled with the truth is what he's saying. What's truth? Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is truth. So we would say we fill our heart with Jesus. But he also says in John chapter 17, when he's praying the high priestly prayer to the Father, he says, your word is truth. And so if you want to fill your heart with truth, fill it with Jesus and fill it with the Word of God. Just simple understanding. Number three, stay as far away from falsehood as possible. I mean, don't flirt with, well, they might take this the wrong way, but stay away from that. Exodus 23, 7, keep yourself from a false matter. Proverbs 38, Remove falsehoods and lies far from me. One more. Avoid people who are known to lie or deceive. It's the old adage that grandma used to say. Can't run with dogs without getting fleas. You know, the people you hang around with, if, if they're deceptive, you're going to end up, it's contagious. Sin is contagious. It really is. And, and and that's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. No matter how good you're trying to live, if you hang out with the wrong people, you can't pull them up. They're going to pull you down if they're your source of friendship all the time. Everybody lies occasionally. A new study found that small self-serving lies over time lead the person that the brain tends to adapt to dishonesty. See, probably in this room, for those of us who, when we tell a lie, it's it's usually a self-serving kind of thing, small and, and maybe designed to make us look better or feel better, but our brain, according to this study, adapts to dishonesty. The researchers called it a slippery slope, their words, not mine. Participants in the study were asked to advise a partner in another room. And it was a simple task. They were advised to tell them how many pennies were in a jar. But they were led to believe that there was a benefit to them if they misled the person in the other room. And their lies tended to escalate over time. The more people they lied to in the other room, the bigger the lie got. As the lying increased, they said that the brain's response They had them hooked up electronically. The brain's response decreased. And the size of the decrease predicted how much bigger the next lie would be. That there was an actual physiological connection that the brain adapts to dishonesty. And they could actually predict how much bigger the lie was going to be based on the brain's response. Findings suggest that negative emotional signals associated with lying decrease as the brain becomes desensitized and lying increases one research one of the researchers put it this way think about it like a perfume you buy a new perfume and it smells strongly a few days later it smells less and a month later you don't smell it at all so that's the way it is with lying you notice it the first day a few days later you don't notice it as much and a month later you don't notice it at all i love what mark twain said he he didn't say a lot of good things about telling the truth but one of them he did say that was good was this always tell the truth and you don't have anything to remember always tell the truth and you don't have anything to remember may we always be a people who speak truth let's pray lord i thank you for your words here and how applicable they are to every generation, not just ours. Lord, I think probably every generation thinks theirs is the worst. And uh Lord, I just thank you that these words are just as relevant as they were two thousand years ago when you sat down on a hill outside the Sea of Galilee and began to speak. God, I pray that we would be a people of our word. I pray that our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers would never have reason to doubt what we tell them is truth. Lord, I pray for our time of invitation. I pray that we would open our hearts to the, to the light of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there's anything in our life that needs to be confessed, anything that needs to be repented of, I pray that we would do that now, that we might receive your forgiveness and that we might walk out of here not in guilt, but in freedom. May it be so, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name.